0: Hi, and welcome to Helping People Perform, the podcast that gives you fascinating insights into those people whose chosen vocation is to help others perform at their best. From consultants to teachers, sports coaches to financial advisors, all of my guests share a passion for getting the most out of individuals, teams, and organizations. Enjoy the episode. So, welcome everybody to another episode of the Helping People Perform podcast. I'm delighted today to be joined by Georgie Rudd from Rudd Consulting and the Think Perspective. Um, Georgie, welcome along.
1: Thanks so much, Paul. Really pleased to be here to have a chat today.
0: Yeah, yeah. looking forward to it. Um, so, Georgie is the co founder of the Think Perspective, she's also an executive coach. She does one-to-one coaching, uh, both with executive coaching and with parental coaching, something uh, with people coming back to work in particular uh, from parental leave. I'm really interested to to hear that um, angle, but also does a lot of group work, group facilitation and coaching, and got something called Listening Labs, and again, something I'd like to to delve into a little bit as we go along. But before we do that, I was hoping you could just give me a little bit of background uh, to you in terms of your experiences, what's got you to where you are today.
1: Mm, thanks. Yeah, well, when I think back, there has actually been a, a fairly clear pathway to get to being in this position, running my coaching practice. But at the time, you're not always sure how you get there. And, and my reflections are: you know, started life at Lloyd's Banking Group as a graduate on the graduate program, and my first job was being an HR business partner there, and I was paired up with some pretty senior directors around the business, working on all sorts of elements of a people plan from um restructuring departments to trade union negotiations through to performance rounds and bonus rounds and it was a brilliant broad brush on all the levers that you pull to help organizations and people perform Uh, but the bit that I always loved was whenever we were working on the development of the people in that team or that department so I, I then kind of switched into a more specialist track where I ran graduate programs at Lloyd's for a while in the corporate bank and financial markets areas. I then moved into kind of management development in some different divisions. So trying to kind of, I suppose, see what happens once those graduates uh, leave the programme and become more senior, how do you develop managers? And then finally landed in executive development. So we were looking after the top 500 leaders at, at Lloyds. Um, so really kind of thinking about how do you create self-awareness with pretty senior established leaders? Mm. How do you help them to be better? when I look back, the kind of the critical point there was you know, Lloyd's acquired Hboss back in the kind of days of the financial crisis, and it was a complete reset. And I think I really got to see Exec development, you know at its most raw, all the networks got broken, two different cultures coming together. Mm. How do you help that leadership team connect and build confidence through a really rocky period? So i loved love that work. And from there, I guess that gave me what I needed to go to a whole new blank piece of paper when I joined Boringa Partners, which is a management consultancy. And there I I was head of learning and there was no L and d department. So I suppose when I look at that, the creativity of that role was brilliant. You know, brought all the learning of being in a big place and seeing how the cogs fit to then starting from scratch and thinking, Mm. what do we need here? So lots of development programmes. Lots of curriculum, lots of technology, and, and lots of risks, actually, to try a few new things and have a bit of fun. So love loved that, but it was the one-to-one conversations and the coaching that I always loved the most. And it had to be side of desk right. and to shift to coaching and to do more of what I love all the time.
0: Fantastic. And I mean, that wonderful experience of and I've experienced both of these setups as well, where you're in a really large outfit and you get to experience that broad brush uh, approach, as you said, and just a wide range of generalised um, in your case sort of HR business partner world um, and then going into a smaller outfit where you've got that creativity you've got the opportunity to innovate and move forward uh, but it's all on you <laughs> so how was that experience for you moving from that big picture to a, to a, a you know a smaller fish in a bigger pond to a bigger fish in a, in a smaller pond
1: yeah I mean you're spot on it is chalk and cheese and so there's a little bit of grieving for what you've lost right. as in if I needed help on something really specific, there was a whole team of people you could just go to and ask and they, they knew everything about it. Whereas you're right, when it's just you, that's the excitement and that's also, if you like, some of the pressure of, you know, this is a growing consultancy. When I joined about 300 people, but now I think they're about 1,500 to 2,000. So really mm-hmm. lots of growth, which in itself was fascinating to be a part of. Um, but I think it's it's just learning to ask more, to be willing to share to be vulnerable and to realize how resourceful you are and to just try you know iterate much more quickly I think in a big firm there's so much hierarchy and and things sort of go up the chain don't they you know you, you write a paper and it goes up to the board and it has 15 iterations then something might happen whereas it was much more agile and and really good to iterate and fail fast and try again mm-hmm. uh, and I found that really liberating and learned a lot but also it meant we did new things quickly and uh, when I look back I suppose that was probably one of the highlights of that corporate part of my career Um, really enjoyed it yeah
0: awesome stuff Um, and so you went from being that big fish uh, a smaller fish in a bigger pond the big fish in the small pond to your own fish in your own pond your your, your own (laughs) consultancy and you went out on your own how long have you been uh, practicing out on your own now
1: I love the fish analogy <laughs> yeah, I'm, I am I'm, I'm I'm. in my own practice as you say and I've been doing that for two years now uh, and I, I took the step I retrained and got accredited as a coach at Henley Business School and it took a while like it was a long a long plan in a way um, but having made the leap it's been interesting to, to feel and, and to realise that I thought I wanted to focus exclusively on one-to-one coaching because right. I've been in an environment that was pretty busy and doing lots of group work. But I've subsequently realized I did miss that a little bit. Okay. So it's been good to build out again with, as you were talking about, some of this kind of listening out piece, working with groups again. Right. Balance, you know, to get the balance really between working with individuals and working with teams. And, and as you are alluding to, running your own practice, you are the only fish uh, to start <laughs> with. So you do need to draw on that resourcefulness and to, to, to get the networks to help, to ask and to learn from others mm. um, and to be prepared to to go and take some risks yeah. and to try some new things uh, and to try and enjoy that.
0: Yeah, oh. uh, yeah um, we're going to come back to a little bit of that in, uh, in, in a short while. But I just wanted to pick, you've got three areas that you really focus on, If if I'm correct. You've got the one-on-one exec coaching. You've got the one-on-one parental coaching and you've got the more group facilitation and group group work uh, where you talk about the, the listening labs. Can we walk through each of those in terms of what you do, who do you work with and how do you help? Um, let's start with that one-on-one exec coaching piece. Who do you work with? How do you help them?
1: Yeah, um, well, majority of the coaching work is leaders and managers in organisations of all different sizes and different sectors. Uh, and the recurring theme is... for whatever reason you've got lots of potential there but that person needs to do some work really to really unlock that potential so there's quite a bit around people who are perhaps at the promotion point where the organization backs them and can see they've got bags of potential but for whatever reason actually for some really good reasons sometimes that person is holding themselves back and that's massive there's so much we could explore in that space Mm -hmm. um Uh, For others, it's more about they are successful at level, but need to be better, to perform better actually, or to perform differently. Um, And that might be helping increase self-awareness of their impact on others and understanding what is it like to be on the receiving end of me? And and how is that helping me or hindering me from motivating the team, getting the best out of the team, from building brilliant client relationships? So that can be all sorts of things around managing boundaries and um, communication, emotional intelligence. Mm. Uh, it, it can be dealing with the inner critic, you know, that yeah. infectionist that's constantly driving you on, yeah, and, and actually stopping you sometimes from working in a different way that would have a better result
0: and that imposter syndrome and everything that comes with it.
1: Absolutely, yes, yeah. and it's fascinating to see, you know, it is absolutely. You know, a human, a human thing, it's it's odd to call it a syndrome because it sounds like an illness. Perhaps, <laughs> uh, you know, a way, a way to describe it is it's, it's self-doubt. its And right. I think uh, to different degrees, most people would would recognise elements of that. Mm. But for some people, that inner critic is a really loud voice. Right. Rather so it's quieter. Um, but environmentally, you know, we're going through huge amounts of turmoil over the last couple of years or so. Mm. So... Uh, people can find some of those thinking traps are are more prevalent than they used to be so how do we get to more effective thinking more quickly
0: right and through your coaching you're helping people firstly to notice that stuff and then to address it and and overcome it Is is that the kind of approach that you're taking
1: yeah, I would say, you know, my, my reason for, for being in business is to help create clarity and insight for people. Right. And we very rarely get any thinking time. And if we do, it might be quite poor quality. We are time poor. We're under pressure. Yeah. So I, I, I adopt, if you like, Nancy Klein's perspective on this, who I sort of heartily commend to anybody who's interested in coaching, which is to be a thinking partner. And that is to say, we are, we are equals. You know, this isn't mentoring and I don't have all the answers. Um, This individual is really resourceful, but what I do is bring a high quality thinking environment, which means lots of listening, hopefully some really provocative questions. And our aim is to create some awareness of what's going on, um, which then enables us to build strategies to do things differently very often we don't have time to stop and think mm. about what's going on. We're just in a feeling or we're in a mode right. and it's a default mode.
0: Mm. Oh, it's amazing. The, the power of reflection. Um, I've noticed it throughout a lot of the work that I've done, but I've also seen it in people in that a lot of the, even events that you go to, you go to a speaking event or something like that, the number of people who've come out of those events um, and you hear the chatter and it's not about necessarily the talk or the individual who's been speaking, although they generally find one or two insights from them, a huge amount of value of just simply the time to not be in that day-to-day grind and to speak to others, to speak to colleagues, to speak to new people and new perspectives, just to allow your brain to refilter that stuff and, uh, and up your performance that way.
1: Yeah. I think the power of reflection is woefully underestimated and, especially when we're thinking about how do we empower and equip the people that work with us and for us to do great thinking as well. Mm -hmm. So I think you're right. There's a huge amount which is just kind of almost learning about what's going on for us and and challenging the assumptions that we're operating on because we we all you know we are efficient beings we've got shortcuts for good reasons and we very often operate on the basis of some assumptions which sound like truths when we say Mm. it to ourselves but if you get some challenge and an alternative perspective maybe we realize that is an assumption that's probably not true
0: right
1: Um, but you could be basing your whole strategy Mm. around those assumptions
0: And you say you also do one-on-one work with uh, with parental coaching and people coming back from parental leave. Um, you know, it's a it's a topic that I've touched on with a few people in in my day. I've been through uh, that process myself. Um, how do you help people? Who who's it you help um, in that space?
1: Yeah, I mean, as a as a working parent, also, I have huge empathy for, you know, it's it's a series of bumpy transitions, mm. being a working parent, and um, often I'm working within organisations, you know, to help those who have been out on parental leave to transition back in as smoothly as they can. Mm. Um, but I'm also interested in the fact that, you know, parenting's a marathon, it goes on for years, so... We're quite rightly investing in in new parents, getting through that, you know, really incredible change in in life and circumstance. But the bumpy transitions continue, you know, Mm -hmm. as children start school, as you start to then start secondary school, have teenagers. So parents are probably the most time poor people Mm -hmm. um, I know. And, And actually there's a huge amount of noise out there about what we should be doing, you know, and how we should be parenting. So again, it's about creating a space for high quality thinking where people right. are really getting to know what it is that they do think, what mm. they need to do differently, um, what assumptions they're making. And so I, have, I love the work with, with parents coming back. It's often, understandably, about confidence, having been out of the workplace for up to a year, mm. uh, working differently. So mm. in the past, we could throw time at the problem. Most people were happy to kind of work late, particularly yep. in consulting. But now now there are some different boundaries so how will we say no what will we say no to
2: right
1: and most of that's around uh, ourselves you know mm. what are we telling ourselves about that rather than organizations necessarily expecting people to say yes to everything it's more challenging mm. kind of ourselves mm. um, and then there's you know being smart about career and thinking through well, where am I going what's my plan um, and, and not losing momentum
0: right. Oh, wonderful stuff. I mean, it's a—it's definitely a, a subject uh, close to my heart, Should we say, with two parents and just start two different kids in two different schools and managing just the logistics and getting used to new schools and bits and pieces like that. It's a, it has an effect on your whole family dynamic, not just the, uh, the, the work aspect as well, doesn't it?
1: It really does. And I think it can sometimes take us a bit by surprise. Mm. But there's something about being in that role where you're helping others you know children to manage their own transitions whilst recognizing you've got an awful lot going on for you and it's like ripples isn't it it's it's a system a system of people going through change Mm. and in order to be as effective as as we want to be to be the parents we want to be sometimes we've got to stop and think about what are we doing to help ourselves
0: Mm.
1: get through this quickly and effectively
0: Mm. Wonderful. And the the last bit, the, the sort of group work, and particularly interested in this uh, listening labs piece. Can you tell me a bit more about that?
1: Yeah, I am absolutely passionate about the topic of listening. And this comes from, I suppose, my 20 years in, in the corporate world, but also my, my job as an executive coach. And listening is, you know, the probably the most important tool in the toolkit if you're going to be a coach. Right. But my, my reflection on this is the quality of listening in everyday life in organizations is, is relatively poor. Right. And I can see the knock-on of those poor interactions. And you know, if we stop and think about this for ourselves for a minute, you know, if I asked you to think about an experience you've had in the past of not being listened to or having a poor experience of being listened to, mm. most of us can think of that relatively quickly we can start to remember how it made us feel. And the likelihood is it stayed with us quite a long time. We probably ruminated on it. It wasn't the work of the moment. And for some of us, you know, that can lead to us deciding to withdraw our intellectual capital, Mm. our motivation and engagement, Mm. um, to withdraw our ideas and and our innovation. So the cost for organizations, I think, is a lot greater than perhaps we actually realize. Um, Listening is at the heart of solving some of the biggest organizational problems that I hear HR directors, heads of learning and business leaders talk about, you know, when it comes to hybrid working, inclusion. Mm. How do we how do we make sure these diverse teams that we've invested in in building are actually being heard? Um, there's a piece around strategy development in organizations where we're working in silos, where mm.
2: we're
1: not we're not asking the right questions and we're not listening. So that development strategy can be disjointed. So the, the premise of Listening Lab is, look, this isn't, you know, unachievable. Listening is a skill that can be learnt. And when you pair knowing how to bring attention and listening with asking some better questions, there are just some really powerful incremental changes that transform the quality of conversation and consequently results a business. Uh, and I think most of us, have not been taught how to listen. Right. It's not on the curriculum at school. Mm. Uh, some of us are predisposed to listen, you know, pretty well. Others, it's more difficult. But actually, with some small changes, we can all just make a little notch on the dial of listening
2: mm.
1: and flex that muscle. And it could even be just twenty percent more mm. than it is today. And just to notice what's the impact on the team on my reports on my clients on the people who are above me in the hierarchy so we're really I've got a business partner called Heather we run think perspective and we're kind of laser focused on helping everyday leaders learn how to listen in the moments at work better
0: fantastic and as you say it's one of those skills where you know you could just say oh I'm always listening it's like I'm, I'm always breathing. Uh, and w- therefore, why would I need to improve on it? But you've touched on some really valuable um, underlying bottom line business reasons <laughs> uh, to actually go about and improve that listening. So the, these listening labs they tend to be group sessions, is that right? And you're doing workshops to help people um, what recognize what good listening is, or how do, how does that they tend to work?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So they are collective experiences, and the listening lab is based on the idea we're just running a series of experiments. So we want to get away from this idea of, if you like, training and having lots of slides and information, but to create an experience where people are in situations from which they can learn, Mm. try something new, see how that goes, try it again. So there's a a piece that we uh, ask people to look at before they come, which is a bit of reflection, there's some clips, some some kind of food for thoughts, and there are two really low-key experiments we say you can do in the flow of your day-to-day. You don't have to do anything differently. Go about your working life, or even a conversation at home, and just try this one thing and see what happens. Right. Get together in a workshop. We build on that. We do more experiments. There's demos, there's practice, um, lots of kind of group experience and smaller, smaller group work. And then we have kind of a regroup later where we have some post experiments and we look at how those go. Mm. And we try to balance doing some stuff if we can face to face with deliberately the regroup being online because most of us are listening in the online environment for at least part of our day. Mm. So what changes do you make to listen well you know in a teams call versus around the table in the office. Right. Um so yeah listening lab uh, what I love is seeing people come in and quite understandably having a bit of a degree of cynicism about you know uh, it's it's another course is it really going to make a difference. Mm. And seeing those light bulbs go off. And people thinking about the impact they have, mm. how the small things they learn have a really big, really big impact. Mm. And the other challenge we sometimes get is, oh, I'm so busy, I don't have time to listen. And listening takes mm. too much time I just, I have to tell people what to do. Mm. And there's a real kind of flip around how we add value because I think we are pre-programmed, you know, myself included, if you think back to school and work, to add value by contributing, by talking and advising and knowing the answers. And actually the way that managers used to operate in the hierarchy, you'd look up and think, well, that person will know. Mm. But we are networked organizations now. Information is flowing freely around organizations and you only really get to capitalize on that if you can listen and be curious. So, So there's a real sense of people learning that they can make a big difference, even in ten minutes, if they just flip the way they start the conversation, yeah. Yeah, and we look at simple stuff. You know, to fight your default mode and just try these two or three things. Give it five minutes, mm-hmm. and then see see what happens. And people generally sort of coming out saying, i would never I've never noticed,"
2: right.
1: and and that listening is not binary, as you say
0: actually there's five or six levels of it <laughs> <laughs> and I, I what I love is the the approach to experimentation actually learning from the experience and the, the group experience that's a huge value add in itself isn't it because if people learn by themselves they you know they only learn an element of it and if you're learning as a group one you get to experience it you get to build that team along with it but you also get something real that people can reflect back on and add layers of value that you just wouldn't get as an individual.
1: Yeah, I love that point. There is, you're right, there's a sense of collective reflection and learning. And one of our reflections, because in some ways we've been experimenting with Listening Lab to understand you know, where it works and, and where it goes. One of our learnings is we hadn't intended for it to be an intact team activity necessarily. Mm. But a lot of the work we're doing is not, it's a group of people within the same organization. But when you do have an intact team, it's the group that's leaving telling us, you know, if you'd called this team building, we wouldn't have got the same out of it maybe, but what that's what it has been because we spent a whole day mm. having really high quality conversations where our listening is far from in the kind of low level pretending, ignoring, selecting. Mm. Um, and, and we're we are deliberately asking more questions. We're getting curious. And so people are leaving feeling sense of connectedness as a team trust is exponentially higher
2: right.
1: um, and commitment to kind of work together on it going forward is, is clearly also there so yeah. it's really interesting to see
0: oh, wonderful that it must be an amazing experience for the teams that go through it quite jealous on that front might might try to get the opportunity to do that at some point in the future um <laughs> So just moving the conversation along a little bit um, from the podcast, we usually at this point, we'll ask people about their own performance. So how do you help Georgie perform? You know, what what angles have you got? Um, particularly being as a, uh, as we often call it and this, may nudge you in a certain direction, but a solopreneur. Those people who are uh, working by, them, uh, by themselves have their own practice. Where do you go for your own performance uplift?
1: Yeah, I love that question. And and it's a great one for anybody who is working on their own to be reflecting on. And for me, you know, there are a couple of main sources. One would be as a coach, I have supervision. And this is coaching for me as a coach. And it is invaluable, both from a kind of ethics perspective, but also for me to be experiencing and observing and learning from uh, another professional coach. But also to be uh, benefiting from the clarity of reflection and thoughts mm. that I'm hoping to help others with. Mm. So, investing in, in that for myself is, is very important to me and to my professional integrity. But you, you referenced solopreneurs, and that's exactly right. You know, having a network of people, a wide network of people who are both in different walks of life, but also in the same boat as you. Mm hear the journey they're on what's going well what's difficult to realize you're not alone and um, to hear new ideas to, to be able to help other people by sharing yours mm. is, uh, is is a very key part I think of how we're. You know, I'm developing myself um, and the other thing is and I love talking to clients about this is thinking about who you need to recruit into your network so mm. most of us need a certain kind of group of people that might include, for example, the cheerleader. And if you haven't got one, well, you need to recruit one into your network. Who's the person who will give you that positive alternative perspective? The other for me is the voice of reason or logic. Mm. So who's my go-to, you know, phone a friend, if for whatever reason I've got to do it, something's Mm. triggered me. Who is it who's gonna just put forward the, the logical kind of alternative perspective? and those two for me have been particularly important say have I got the right people there on my speed dial um and to make sure that I do actually go and talk to them
0: right just making some notes on there, and some things I really want to work on for myself. <laughs> and just for, just for clarity, uh, if people are listening just to this episode um, with, with the solopreneurs piece that we're talking about is a uh, a network that uh, from episode number one, Mr. Faris Aranki, uh, who is a, a friend of both of ours from, from way back. Um, he set that up as a sort of informal network of people who are on their own or in very small teams um, and just connected in a way that we're all facing similar challenges um, with the, There's all sorts of people from coaches, accountants, various different walks of life um, who are going out on their own and experiencing this world of I'm setting up a, a practice or a, a small group and I'm where do I go for that support? And I think that informal network has been hugely valuable for myself. And I'm hearing that from yourself, Georgie.
1: Yeah, I think we could easily overlook some of the as you were kind of touching on with listening lab this kind of collective learning. We can overlook the, the power of that. We we maybe think we need certain things, but my reflection on the solopreneurs group that that we're talking about is some of it is content led, you know what are other people doing? How can I kind of learn from that? There's a huge amount that's about emotional kind of moral support, which is mm. to say, you know, that this is natural natural experience of a business life cycle, and feeling that you are you know not alone, mm. but also sharing sharing ways to overcome some of those challenges.
0: Oh, wonderful. So. Just going to go into the the more a couple of quickfire questions. Um, about first one is about your sort of ideal client or ideal uh, person organization group that you would really like to work with uh, and you think could really benefit from the uh, you know, the experience and expertise that you have. So who would that ideal client be for you that you would like to help perform?
1: Well, on one level, my ideal client is pretty much any of the everyday heroes and heroines who are in organisations who may not be anywhere near the top of the tree but have a massively important role to play in motivating everyday people, you know, teams. Mm. Um, So so getting people, uh, my ideal experience is to be a fly on the wall in the team meeting or the one-to-ones and just spot where with some small changes, listening could be better quality and the questions could be the kind of questions that help someone else think for themselves better to provoke and to be creative rather than some of our kind of our own experiences of being in organisations where conversations are a relatively low level, the status updates, and there might be some problem solving. Mm. So, so in many ways, anywhere, whether some somebody who's you know in a management role or a leadership role is is you know like ideal. But but actually, for me, I suppose, personally, it's really exciting working with companies where there is an embrace of doing things a bit differently. So I suppose a um, willingness to enjoy the idea of experimentation to kind of think that that might be quite exciting rather than feeling scared about it. But, you know. I then reflect again and think that the opportunity is massive with organisations where it seems scary. It seems a million miles away from how we do things. Mm. Like the learning is, it's so, there's so much rich, ripe learning there. Um, so for me, I think it's its being in rooms where I can help people increase their awareness of what they're doing and how they can change it.
0: Yeah, it's a wonderful feeling when you get, the, you mentioned it before, those sort of aha moments, those little light bulbs where people purely because of a question you've asked or a, a prompt that you've given or something that you've done gets them to think differently about things and that is the essence for me about helping people perform it's not giving them the answers as such it's about enlightening them or getting them to even better to enlighten themselves just through some reflections some space some questions that make a huge difference
1: yeah, and, and, you know, my second thought on that, sorry that I you sparked another thought.
0: <laughs> Go you're, <for> it.
1: <laughs> you're clearly sharing some some really good reflections as well. Schools, you know, right. it's not an area of business I'm particularly focused in, but the opportunity for children mm. and teachers, actually, but, but for children to learn how to listen earlier on mm. is very exciting to see how we equip them. To, to know those skills you know it's not something that we're teaching effectively in schools right now yeah it's part a thought for me there and it is an area that I'd be very excited to, to think about more
0: yeah so if there's anybody out there in that environment thinks that they might benefit from uh, Georgie's expertise and do reach out I'd say or, or, on your behalf anyway please uh <laughs> don't let me speak for you on that point but um the <laughs> other other side of this in terms of helping you perform so if you were to have an opportunity to sit down with any individual any group any organization that you think actually just a conversation with those people would really help me in my own game and up my own performance who might that be
1: well podcasts actually are are a brilliant way for having access to lots of people almost as if you'd invited them around for dinner and they were sitting around your table and learning from them and I there are a number of podcasts that that would be my go-to and I'm delighted you're you're beginning this um but if you think about the guests on the diary of a ceo podcast for example yeah you know I get matters from all these different walks of life hearing people reflecting on what they've learned in their lives what they do differently and their areas of expertise so there's a huge amount there but I think the other the other thing which sounds a bit left field is I love writing Okay. I love writing as part of the work I do. And I would absolutely love to meet particularly um, one or two of the children's authors that I admire on how they create compelling stories at a level which is very easy mm-hmm. to understand. Uh, and so I'd pick Emma Carroll um, or Catherine Lundell. These are books my daughters enjoy. Mm. And I would love to learn from um, about how they go about the writing process and mm. to create, as I say, really exciting narrative in a way that's easily accessible because there is a huge amount I can apply to the way I'd like to communicate uh, with adults in the business world.
0: Yeah, that ability to communicate in the more concise manner, you know, I'm sorry this letter is so long I didn't have time to write you a short one, <laughs> that kind of approach. <laughs> it does take that ability to be, to bring the complex and make it concise is a... is can be hugely valuable purely in helping people to understand uh at, at those basic levels as to what are the principles behind what you're doing and, and then you can build on that mm. yeah oh wonderful and uh, absolute pleasure talking with you, georgie but before we close things out properly how do people reach out uh, if they want to find out more if they want to get in contact with you how do people um make contact with you or have you got any websites or anything that people should be visiting to find out more
1: yeah, thank you. So the best place to find me is probably LinkedIn. Um, You'll find me there as, as Georgie Rudd of Rudd Coaching, but also Think Perspective, which is is my collaboration with my business partner. Um, on our websites, for me, it's it's ruddcoaching.co.uk and Think Perspective is thinkperspective.com. Yeah. So those are great places to start. And I'm more than happy to connect and have a conversation with anybody who's thinking about how they can learn to listen, and to think better.
0: Wonderful, and I'll make sure those uh, links are all in the show notes so that everybody has the opportunity to uh, to follow those through. Well, Georgie, an amazing conversation. I've got a few notes down here for myself that I want to work on and up my own performance off the back of this. So it's been hugely valuable for me. Hope it's been enjoyable for you and and for the listeners. And once again, thanks for being with us today, Georgie.
1: oh thank you so much. I have really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you liked what you heard, then please give the podcast a rate, review and share. I'm Paul Teasdale, and from sausage making to banking, oil and gas to Formula One, I help people perform. If you'd like to find out more and have a conversation, contact me via helpingpeopleperform.com.